This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Nidell, and today's episode is with Paul Pagnato, the CEO and founder of his own fund, Pagnato, and say that carp? Carp, like the fish. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I, well, laughingly, of course, I, I put it into the ethos that I was going to somehow butcher this. I wrote it down on a sheet of paper. I'm looking at it. I can't even read my own writing, Paul, as I, as I say that out loud. Like, you know, talk about bringing what we want into fruition. I mean, it, it's, it's truly crazy. <laughs> but, Paul, I appreciate you hopping on here with me uh, really under such, such short notice, right? Your staff has been incredibly accommodating, really one of the most professional follow-ups that I have ever seen, right? I, I wanted to commend you for well, thank you. however that got there, right? There was initial reach out and then back and forth and consistent follow-up. I'm like, man, this is how business should be because I'm admittedly a little self-centered, right? I forget things and don't <laughs> don't follow up with emails like I want to. And it's like, man, I feel badly. But every time that happened, your team was there. So thank you. Super. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll report back on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 look, I look forward to you doing that. And as I, as I share that with Paul, I want to make mention to you, Paul has a book coming out, you know, in the next 30, 60 days, give or take. And depending on when this episode airs, I'm not exactly sure. Your book might be out, Paul, pretty close to the same time, right? I think it could be really, really close that way. That's all about transparency, right? And, and what that looks like. And sure, we can dive into the fun backstory about all the crazy stuff you've done and the brilliance that you are and the successes you've had. But my entire life now is built around, as I call it, authentic vulnerability, which is just a fancy way of overstating transparency. Yeah. So I would love to hear about the book, about the backstory, about how it came about, just all the pieces and parts that would compel me to spend more time with you. You bet. So transparency is here, and it's here to stay, and we're living and breathing it every day in our society. And when I, from my science background, what I've studied the prior massive waves and transformation of, of human society started with the industrial revolution, amazing wave with the combustion engine, the telephone, all the way to the digital era, which we're still in, slowly winding out of, uh, which has been the event of so many digital solutions we have, to now the transparency wave. The digital era has really enabled us to, to launch into the transparency wave. And this transparency wave, uh, which has really started about a decade ago, has unleashed the greatest wealth creation ever. Literally, there's been $5 trillion of wealth created just in our country and just 17 by 17 companies that have taken transparency to a whole new level in their respective areas. And this ultimately has global, global impact. So, Paul, tell me about these these companies, right? Like when you say transparency, right? I'm I'm a, I'm a little fish in a big pond, right? Little guy in Columbus, Ohio, sharing my truth. But when you're saying trillions of dollars being manufactured, like I've I've been, I'll say, almost preaching to the pulpit now for a long time of like, just get out there and share your truth. Like it's empowering and it's impactful, and it's way more difficult than people, like at, at, at surface level, it should be so easy, right? Just say, oh, I made this mistake. It's simple, but that's not really how it works. No, it doesn't. It's hard. So I'll talk about the, the corporate world, which is really run by people. So the, 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 ultimately, it's, it's the human beings that are providing this transparency. So look at some of the companies that have just flourished, like Uber. Uber went public today. Great one. So before Uber, we would call a cab. And we called a cab. We didn't know who was going to pick us up. We didn't know the person's name. 
We didn't know what car they were going to pick us up. We didn't know where they were. We didn't know what the exact price was going to be. We didn't have any, we didn't have transparency with all of that. Uber now provides complete transparency at a whole new level. Um, look at Netflix. You know, prior to Netflix, we would go to Blockbuster Video. You'd go there. You didn't have transfer. You didn't know which movies were going to be available. And you didn't know which ones you can rent for a week, three days. You didn't really know what the cost was going to be if you turned in one late. Netflix took care of all that. You have complete transparency now. You know exactly what you can get, when. That's all, that's all at your fingertips. Cost, transparency, Amazon. You know, look at Sears. Sears used to be one of the Dow companies. And now they're almost out of business. And you look at Amazon, you know exactly what you're going to pay. Now they just came out with same day delivery. If you don't like what you bought, you can send it right back. And the company, you know, at one point hit a, hit a trillion dollars in value. There's a number of reasons, obviously, why that happened. But you can go company after company, industry after industry, what every single one has done is taken transparency to a whole new level in a certain place. Now, success is failure turned inside out, and we're going to have failure with things. Look at Facebook. So Facebook created networking, created transparency. Of Some people complain it's too much transparency, right? Uh, you know everything about everybody that's going on. That's people's decisions as to what to post. But Facebook has also caught a lot of flack for not being transparent about their algorithms, not being transparent about privacy. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was grilled before Congress, and now they're doing a 180. So we'll see what happens, but they've lost millions and millions of dollars in advertising. They have had a lot of deflections, and that is an example of people demanding transparency. Certainly. And, and Paul, along that line, what, what sparked this incredible interest in transparency, right? Because you, you've had, from my, the, the quick rundown, I love shooting this off the hip, right? So we didn't get to know each other a ton beforehand because I like the rawness of this. And, right, we have NASA, we have microbiology, we have hedge fund, we have investments, we have billions under management. But then there's this pretty stark right-hand turn of like, no, let's just get into transparency. How, how, how does that happen? Yeah. So what happened is one of the biggest life-changing events for me is when the financial crisis hit. At the time, I was working for the largest brokerage firm in the, in the country. And I thought I was being transparent with all my clients. And I thought the firm I was with was being transparent. Um, I later learned that there was so much lock, lack of transparency. At the time, about eight $900 million of people, people's wealth, they worked for their whole life they trusted me with. And in a period of six months, I never knew, I did not know if it was safe or not. I slept maybe three hours a night. And from that life-changing event, I vowed to fix it. And I vowed to change it. Take a look at uh, Bernie Madoff. Great dichotomy is Bernie Madoff and Warren Buffett. Just last week, I attended Warren Buffett's in a shareholder meeting. Highly recommend doing it. So Bernie Madoff never got caught. He scouted $60 billion of people. And these are bright people. Elliot Spitzer, former New York, New York Attorney General, uh, the owners of the Mets, um, Kevin Bacon, 
former CEO of Merrill Lynch. These are great people. And they had capital with Bernie Madoff. $60 billion, never got caught, ended up turning himself in. People ask me, how in the world is that possible? Well, that's possible because the rules and regulations allow a firm, a bank, someone like Bernie Madoff, to create his own financial statements, to calculate his own performance returns, to collect the money, to be a custodian. All these things were allowed then, and they're allowed today. And this was part of the root. It's the lack of transparency that's not demanded and required of advisors, of firms. And so that was a life-changing event for me, and I vowed to change, and I vowed to fix it. So that's 2008, 2009? 2009. Right, so, so this is a 10-year path to get to here right now. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite, a, quite a journey. Um, the first step, this is what we did, and the, the beautiful thing is anybody can do this. Anybody can create a set of transparency standards. So what you do is you find out, figure out what the problem is. So what, what is the issue? And then whatever the issue is, create a, a set of five to 10 standards that avoids that problem, avoids that issue. So for an example, in the financial world, not allowing a, an advisor to hold the assets takes care of that problem. You know, that wouldn't have happened with Bernie Madoff. Not allowing an advisor to calculate performance numbers, having somebody else. Not allow, allowing an advisor to generate their own client statement. So you identify the issues, create these standards of transparency. It doesn't matter what industry it is for us as humans. And then you can, you can, overcome, you can overcome the problem. You can overcome the issue. So anybody can do it. So then, Paul, with, with that being said, are you lobbying for new regulations, new oversight inside the, the financial Finance. world? I mean, that's got to be a, that's got to be something that's a, a pull to you, right? I know we're not going too deep down the political route, but I feel like that's a okay okay place to tiptoe. So yes, yeah, so I'm approaching it uh, two ways. So one, working with the regulators. So I'm on the board of the Institute for Fiduciary Standard, and we're an advocacy for true fiduciary, real fiduciary which is covering a lot of things that I just, just spoke about. And then I've launched a nonprofit. Uh, it's called the True Fiduciary Institute. And so what we're doing is we're teaching the students, the generation coming up, the proper way to have financial well-being. Believe it or not, it's crazy, but longevity. I've spent a lot of time with Stanford, the Center for Longevity. They're the, they're the leader. We have now hit this period of exponential longevity. In the last 100 years, we're now living 30 years longer. It's un unbelievable in a 100-year period, and it's not stopping. So there's three pillars of longevity. The first pillar, the most important one, is financial stability. If one doesn't have financial stability, they're stressed. The average person makes 18 different financial decisions every single day. You know, do you buy, you know, what kind of loaf of bread do you buy? What kind of fish do you buy? What kind of meat do you buy? What about the car? Literally 18 financial decisions. And the average person has, unfortunately, less than $1,000 in their account. So they're, they're stressed. The second pillar is social engagement. The, the reality is if you're not financially in a good place, you don't have the confidence to go out with your peers and your friends. So the financial one impacts the first two. And then the third one is mobility just simply have being active. 
So it literally impacts how long you live. Well, I, I love this so much because as I shared, like the, the psychology side of things and the overlapping principles you're sharing that mirror essentially Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? They're their own, it's its own ecosystem that ends up being something that's able to be, you know, really spread across a bunch of individual ecosystems. It's, there's just so much beauty in that and how you're sharing it, right? That I think, I know even myself, right? There's been plenty of times where I've taken for granted the ability to produce, right? At some level, right? You're an entrepreneur. You have been at, yeah. in some capacity or another your whole life. I think we're kind of born in with this or we're not, right? Yes. Certainly could be learned, but I think it's a, a longer, more painful road, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's just like, no matter what, no matter what I've been through, no matter the shortcomings, the downfalls, the truck repossessions and bankruptcies and crazy stuff, like it never dawned on me all of a sudden, like I, I couldn't produce. And so that always left a little bit of a social circle because of course, like I, I, I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but I know I can make this happen. And then from there being able to go out and scale and the way I talk to myself in my head and the way I talk to others. And it's crazy. I haven't ever looked at it that way. That's, that's a beautiful thing to share. Yeah, yeah. You, you bet. So we're trying to instill this with a generation coming up. Because there's just some basic, simple habits. If we create that, we're going to be okay. When I, we, we, we're with 10 universities we're helping right now. And when I explained to students, I said, I said to them, if you save, uh, say, 10% of your income for 10 years, from age 21 to 31, or you save 10% of your income from 31 all the way to age 65, for 30 years, 30 plus years, same amount of money, which, which person has more left over? It's the person who's saved in his first 10 years. So Albert Einstein said the greatest wonder in the universe, the greatest gift to human beings is compound interest. And so these, 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 these people coming up and, 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 and the students in college coming out, they have the opportunity of a lifetime. Well, absolutely. That is almost a perfect segue into your fund, right? Having having four billion in management is no small feat in itself, right? Especially post financial collapse, post everything. And you said what a hundred families, ten families, I hundred families, right? There's there's a lot of generational wealth that's that's trusted to your hands and the responsibility that falls upon your shoulders. And I'll assume that the listeners have no idea what a hedge fund is. They have no idea how this operates. They might not even know what I'm sharing with them. I would love it if you would peel back a little bit, right, of, of what that could look like and what it means and what it is that you do with $4 billion, right? Like that's, there's you, a lot you, of zeros there. Yes. Yeah. So we're more, think of us as a family office. So what we do is we have a team of people that is comprised of portfolio managers, planners, attorneys, CPAs, uh, lifestyle experts. So our job is to make our clients' lives as simple as possible. The most valuable asset we all have is our time. When I attended the Warren Buffett shareholder meeting last weekend, he's the third wealthiest person in the world. He spent five minutes on time. He said, I have all the money I'm ever going to be able to spend. The one wish I had is I wish I had more time. So what we've done is we've created a family office so that an entrepreneur doesn't need to have a separate relationship with a third-party firm attorney, a separate relationship with a CPA, a separate relationship with a travel agent, a separate relationship with a private banker, a separate relationship with a planner, a separate relationship with a financial advisor. 
we have it all under one roof and we make it simple and seamless for the entrepreneur. So that's what we do. It's a breakthrough value proposition. And, uh, you know, we were advising, you know, uh, about 10 years ago, we were advising around $800 million in assets. And now we have 4 billion. And I really attribute that to the breakthrough value, simplifying things for people. And then the standards of transparency that we talked about earlier, we call it true fiduciary. These true fiduciary standards so that people feel confident that their money is going to be safe and unobstructed from conflicts. Of course. And what, what would be minimum requirements to be involved in a fund or an operation like that? Are you t- taking on new capital still or is it, is it closed? Yep. So we, we are bringing on new clients. Um, our uh, minimum assets is around $10 million. $10 million. Of that's it. I, I mean, that, that's that, that, that seems so just like, just snap your fingers, just sign up. If, if you're interested, pop me an email and I'll, I'll send the introduction over to Paul for you. It's fine. No, that, that's, that's still for all intents and purposes, right? In the grand scheme of what goes on in the financial world, that's a rather low net worth that's required for that sort of service level. Yeah. Yeah. Normally somebody has assets of a half a billion dollars for them to have their own family office. So to have all of that under one roof, all those services, you typically need to, to have about half a billion. So we've brought all the way that down all the way to 10 million. And we hope with digitization and technology, we can continue to bring that down and ultimately get to the point where everybody can have access to it. Yeah. How crazy is that? And since, since we're going back down memory lane, right, when, did, when was that founded and launched versus the financial... Um, blip in time, right? Of that 08, 09, right? I hate to call it the collapse, right? Because it it didn't collapse. Everything just changed. It was still, the dollar still had value. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, really, it was 2011 is when we uh, formed uh, the company, Pagnato Carp. And that's when we launched. So it's been uh, eight years. So it's been eight awesome years. Well, and what I love is this underlying current as well, that there's, I've always found it to be almost 10 years is a requirement to be a quote unquote overnight success, right? When you start really diving into why right, we look at 10 years, you've been working on transparency, your, your fund, your, your, your family house, the brokerage, it's eight years, right? It's successful, but you, you imagine where it's going to be two more years from now, 10 years, you're, especially with the growth rate that again, compounding interest, what that really looks like, what is going to be two more years from now. It's crazy. Like so many people that I found Paul, they just stop, right? They get to year two or year three and it's, it's tough and there's no money and it's, it's miserable and it's not fun. And it's like, I'm just going to go do something else for somebody else. I don't want to walk this path anymore. Yeah. But the, the, the fun stuff is right on the other side of that. That's right. Well, success is failure turned inside out. So, you know, be, being an entrepreneur, that's, that's the journey. So life is like one big experiment. And the more experiments we have, the more failure we have, and that the more data that we have and the closer we get to success. So that's the journey. And all of us have to, in a crazy way, we have to learn to embrace failure. We shouldn't think of failure as a negative. We should think of it as we're one step closer to success. And we can never, ever, ever give up, no matter how far away we may feel it is. And the reality is, when we're at those gut-wrenching moments, when things are the most challenging, that's when the door and the window is usually right around the corner. So when you got to really hang in there. I love that. I mean, it's just that that's, those are such impactful and inspiring words if as you're listening, you actually apply those. Because that's, 
I don't. I feel like especially my generation, right, Paul? I mean, I'm 35, so we'll look at that. 25 to 35 it seems like we're the now generation everybody wants a magic pill you see the instagram influencer that seems to be printing money on their private jet and it's like well time out like you don't see all the stuff that it took to get there like nobody wants to be transparent with the fact that they rented the jet right like anybody can go rent <laughs> rent a jet on a runway to take some pictures or that's right you, you know yeah. go, go through all that what it um jet smarter all the sources like not that everybody has eight or 10 grand laying around, but it, it's not that expensive anymore to take some pictures on a jet, right? Like, <laughs> That's right. It, it's a different world. Well, it's so important for us to always be challenging ourselves and, get, and be used to the failure. Every day I get my butt kicked in something. It could be physically, it could be mentally, it could be an experiment I'm trying, it could be something. And so you just you just get used to it and you get used to those hurdles and it's just a way of life uh, every day failing and overcoming that if we're not pushing the envelope if we're not growing we're not expanding then we're not failing so that should be another indication to someone if you're not having any failure you're not growing i love that too but you you said experiment right which uh, spoken like a true scientist, right? The, the average financial guy doesn't start talking about experiments, right? I don't, I don't want the guy managing my money to start talking about, well, we're going to run this experiment this week and see what comes out the backside. But knowing where you came from, that makes perfect sense to be in your vernacular. What, what was that early, I don't call it childhood, right? But the transition from high school to college and where did you go to school and the studying, right? There's this in-between time we haven't touched base on yet. Yeah. So I was a geek early on. I had my first microscope when I was eight years old. Um, won the science fair when I was like 11, 12 years old. I collected fossils when I was young. I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. I actually learned how to scuba dive when I was 14. I couldn't even drive. I went to school at Florida Atlantic to be a marine biologist. So it was always a, a passion of mine. So I was always exploring. I was always looking down, down and deep. So if you think of microbiology, it's microorganisms. You think of the ocean, you know, you're going down into the ocean as opposed to up in the air. So I was always just drilling, uh, drilling down, down deep. And, and I do that today. So I study in, in intricate detail all the companies that have been successful. And that's how I've discovered this theme of transparency because all the ones the last 10 years that have been flourishing, they all have one thing in common. They've taken transparency to a whole nother level. And then if you look at the people in those organizations behind them, they have transparency as a core, as a core covenant. I was with Warren Buffett a week ago. He is so transparent. He spends a whole day in front of thousands of people and anybody can ask them anything they want spontaneously. It's just totally open and it's being filmed. So he's uber, uber transparent about his thought process, about the partnership, his decision-making, what he's doing. So, um, you know, the early, my early childhood days, I was always a scientist and always drilling down and just trying to improve and make, make things better. And that, that scientific background in microbiology, that, that eventually somehow ended up with you being in space in some capacity. Maybe not physically, right, but we ended up working with NASA. Yeah, 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 it was crazy. So when I graduated uh, college, I took a position with McDonnell Douglas and they had 
a major contract from NASA. And it was really for the Apollo spaceships that were going into outer space up to the moon. And they needed a black box that they could put on the spaceship to detect life in outer space. So millions of dollars were poured into these instruments that I had worked on. And we created this technology called impedance microbiology. Not getting too technical. It's basically we had this, you know, these modules that had wells. We'd stick two electrodes up, pass a current between the two electrodes every six minutes, and we can detect microbial level in minutes as opposed to old standard plating methodology, which would take seven days, eight days. So that then led to commercial applications for the food, be beverage, dairy, pharmaceutical companies to use so they can ship their products a week longer, so they have longer shelf life. But that's, uh, that's how that got started. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's very cool. Right, we're just like out of all the things you've done, we just like brush over that. Like, yeah, there was this little stint I did with McDonald Douglas, and we created some cool stuff that you're still using today. It's no big deal. Let's talk about transparency. It's like, what? Well, time out, Paul. Time out. There's there's some good stuff there that we need to know about. So, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So, Paul, we've now that we get to know you a little bit better, let's talk about some of the stuff. Right, we talk transparency. Let's talk about some of the times where life wasn't all sunshine and roses, right? We know the the financial upheaval that happened 08, 09. That was outside of your control though, right? I mean, it, it, even the, the best crystal balls weren't seeing that necessarily coming at the rate that it came. What are some things that might've bounced around your quarter of life that weren't so, that weren't so pretty? You bet. So, you know, when you launch a business um, and you're starting out, you're hungry. You want, you want to bring clients on board and there's times when you're, you face challenges and you have to make some really difficult decisions. So I'll never forget it. There's this one person that was re referred to me and he had lost $60 million with Bernie Madoff. So he was interviewing everyone. Literally, I was one of 15, 15 companies that he was interviewing. And honestly, I didn't think I was going to get his business, but he had unrealistic expectations for return based on the risk he wanted to take. Well, lo and behold, he called me up and he goes, Paul, guess what? I'm like, what? He goes, out of all the companies I met with, you're the one. I want to go with you. I want to, I want you to manage all my money. It's a sizable amount. Here, new business, starting up, really big deal. And the reality was he, his expectations of the return that he was desirous of, I couldn't meet. And so I actually said to him, I'm sorry, I can't take you on board as a client. This is a type A, very strong personality. He got pissed. He goes, what? Are you telling me you're not going to take me on as a client? I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't meet your expectation. You know, and that was going to be hundreds of thousands in fees, which we so desperately needed starting a new business. So walk from the business. That's an example where it's tough, really, really, really tough to do. Nine months later, he called me up and he goes, Paul, where did we go wrong? You know, what happened there? And I went back and I reminded him what happened. He goes, okay, I've changed my expectations. I have reasonable expectations. So he's now been a client of ours for, uh, for 10 years and uh, thriving. So, but that's an example. When you're starting out, you can get faced with some very difficult, ethical, challenging decisions to make. And, uh, and it, can, it can cost you. You know, it can cost you at the time. 
but you always do the right thing. You'll get it back. Uh, you'll get it back tenfold. So that was one, uh, one area that was, uh, was challenging. Another is, uh, when an organization and business grows, um, you know, it's hard for people to change. So when you have an organization that grows 35% a year, you have a lot of turnover of, of people. You look at the top companies in the world, they have like 50% turnover. And, you know, for us, we're a boutique. We have 35 people who work with us. And we're like a family. And so when somebody's not able to grow, you bring somebody on board for, to perform a certain task and function, and that function and task is no longer needed because you've outgrown it, and that person's not able, just as a human being, not able to grow, and you have to make a change, that's hard. That's, that's really, really gut-wrenching. So those are some of the most difficult things I, I've had to do over the years. It's positive. It's awesome growing. There's many positive aspects, but it's not, it's not all roses. It's, uh, there's some challenges, definitely some challenging times. Of course. Of course. And you brought up the, the fee structure, right? And we don't have to get into the specific nature, but consumerism, right? Over the past eight years of you owning the shop and seeing barriers to entry and the digitization of even being able to trade and manage your own money now, have you seen that affect the, your, not even profit margins, we'll just say the fee structure that you're able to reasonably expect for all the incredible services you offer somebody? So we, we have not had fee compression. Uh, and, I, and I'll share with you why and how we uh, have, have been able to overcome that. Uh, but the industry has had a lot of fee compression. So the, the robo-advisors are called, right, the Betterment's Wealth Fronts of the World. Uh, that space is growing 100% a year. Huge. Uh, Vanguard, who uh, Jack Vogel. Jack Vogel served on the board of the Institute for Judiciary Standard with me unbelievable philanthropist. So he created the ETF, which is a stands for exchange traded fund. It's the low, one of the lowest cost investment vehicles. Vanguard now has $5 trillion in assets, more than firms like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch combined. I mean, it's staggering how much because of fees, because of fee compression. So what is critical for any business is to unrelentlessly be creating value. You have to unleash more value. So this gets back to the experiments. So we have eight, nine different areas within our family office. Every area is expected to do three to five experiments every quarter. So as a company, we have about 40 experiments going on. And what I'm wanting and expecting from the team, from the organization, is just two to three new value creation items for the clients each quarter. So every quarter, every year, we are increasing the value that we provide them. And I think that's the number one reason why we have not had any fee compression. Well, it makes perfect sense, right? You're not only managing expectations, but exceeding them, right? I've had a, an ongoing rule that, at least in the digital age, if there's a one-to-one -one exchange of value to money, the, the consumer is going to feel slighted. It's nowhere close to where it needs to be. Two-to-one, you might have a chance, right? You might feel okay. You get to a three-to-one exchange, and you, now you are starting to create a fan base of people that will spread your word for you. The marketing dollars don't have to be exchanged quite the same, right? It's those one-to-one -one companies where your bottom line gets eroded because all you're doing is marketing to the next trough of people to come feed 
Like it's it's a really I don't say sloppy model, right? It, to me, it's just not efficient. Yep, yep. Yeah, you become commoditized. Of course. And once you become commoditized, it's all about price. Absolutely. So, so Paul, touching back on the transparency, do you have a title for the book yet? Is it? Yes. It's called Transparency Wave. And Transparency Wave, is that going to be found Amazon? Is that direct from you on a website? What, what's your, where are you going on that? Yep. It'll be uh, uh, audio as well as hard copy. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be in the bookstores. So it'll be a pretty significant uh, rollout. Yeah. So talk to me about that, right? I'm in the process of writing my own book too. I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and go a little bit left. We're, we're not in competitive marketplaces. I hope you're not New York times bestseller and Amazon bestseller and every bestseller in the world. But it sounds like if you're getting in Barnes and Noble off the shoot, you're not doing the self-publishing, right? You, you have some help behind you. That's, that's Correct. throwing some fuel on the fire. That's correct. Yeah. So I've had an amazing team of people. So a publisher, I've had someone uh, who writes with me. I've had some marketing, uh, marketing people. So I've had an unbelievable team and group of people to help me. This is my first book. So my first time doing it, I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of failure. We've already had a lot of fits and starts and have had to overcome a lot of hurdles, but it's been, it's been over a year since, uh, since, uh, since we started and uh, we're, we're in the home stretch now. So uh, having the right team of people around you is just absolutely critical. I'm fortunate, I have some friends that have written bestsellers. So they've been mentors of mine to help me through the process. So I've been, been very fortunate with them helping out. One, well, it, it's so staggering to me the true expense that it takes to really hit those numbers, right? And whether you do a royalty deal on the front side and you get an earn out on the back or whether you're, you know, some hybrid version of it's, it's a multiple six figure endeavor to hit those top charts for most people, right? And not implying that that'll be your route, but like, it's, it's not a thing of you, you don't write a book and magically like the book is not what's going to propel you into, I'll call it a millionaire status for, you know, I'll say the quote unquote listener, right? Like it's, the book is just a vehicle to share the message, to get speaking engagements and to get the message out more and to, to see additional value ladders get created. There's no money in books anymore. Now, now in fact, um, all the proceeds from the book are going to the nonprofit. So, you know, my agenda, I'm, I'm not going to profit from it. So, you know, everybody has an agenda in life. We're all human. So my agenda is to get people to think differently. So to get them to think about transparency and to be empowered to be more transparent in all they do, whether it's through personal relationships, whether it's themselves. 90% of people that set a New Year's resolution never hit their New Year's resolution. The number one reason why, it's transparency. It's those people that aren't sharing what that New Year's resolution is with other people. They're afraid to be held accountable. And that's why it doesn't happen. So just think, just that little thing, just think if we could just turn that around and people are open up and they're more transparent with their New Year's resolution. We'll have an explosion of personal growth every year. So that's, that's my agenda with the book is just to get people to think differently and to get a little bit more comfortable with transparency. But all the, all the, all the proceeds are going to the True Fiduciary Institute. I love it. And the True Fiduciary Institute, if somebody wanted to donate, if somebody wanted to be a part of that, 
website they could go to? Is there a, an easy way to get there? Is it through your website? How can, if you're listening and you want to reach out to Paul, what are the best ways to get a hold of you? Yeah, if you're listening, want to reach out, um, best thing would be to email me. Uh, my email address is paul at pagnatocarp.com, P-A-G-N-A-T-O-K-A-R-P.com. So it's paul at pagnatocarp.com, and I'd be happy to help, help you out. You bet. Thank you so much for that, Paul. And then if there was a, a lesson, a gift, something you wanted to share for the people listening, a takeaway, like that one nugget that, man, if they just would adhere to this, they'd always remember you. What would that be? We all have a responsibility to help other people. We, not everybody is fortunate enough to change and grow at a certain pace. So if we all act as mentors and helping other people, it could be children, it could be people in college, it could be our peers, it could be people we work with, it could even be the elderly. But if we all think of ourselves as a mentor and we all reach out and give a hand to somebody who's struggling and needs help, the world will be a different place. No truer words have been spoken. I love that. I mean, that, that's, that's beautiful. Paul, I thank you so much for, for sharing such generous time with us, right? And all those pearls of wisdom and sharing your story. I, I admittedly, not even because you're a guest on the show, I'm looking forward to the book, right? I, I want to read. There's things I don't know. I know there's things I don't know about transparency that I have a feeling you have the, you have the gateway key for. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be buying, buying the book as soon as it comes out. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. If you're here, I'd give you a big hug. I, thanks for, for the time and your stories and your, your, your personal transformation and transparency. You're, you're an inspiration to all of us. Well, thank you. Yep. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it.